Happy New Year to you. New Year, fresh start. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> Have a slide for you. To know God is to pray. To pray is to know God. Those are the two key thoughts I want us to focus on today as we, we look into God's word. To know God, to know God better in this new year so that we trust him more, so that we are more at peace even when life is not very peaceful. And the other thought as well is that we will learn to know God and by knowing him we will learn to pray better, sharper, more god Focus God-driven prayers that focus on his will and not what we want, but what he wants. To know God is to pray. To pray is to know God. How far ahead have you looked in your calendar for 2023? Oh, there's something nice about a blank calendar, okay? I have one on my desk, a, a blank pad, yeah. There's nothing written on January 2023. But there's a lot on my other calendar on my phone, right? Uh, January's basically filled up uh, on my schedule. Um, summer vacation, I already have a week slotted in, in late July, early August uh, for family vacation. Wow, okay. A new year brings opportunity for a fresh start to live, to think, and to follow the Lord differently, to follow the Lord a little bit better. So I have a question for you today. As we're thinking about knowing God and learning how to pray according to God's will better on this, in this first day of a new year. What's your plan? Have you thought about it to become a growing disciple of Jesus Christ this year? What's your plan to be a growing disciple? And what's your plan this year become a better disciple maker, someone who's spreading the knowledge of God so that other people know God, learn about his love, his holiness, his justice, to fear him so they find new life. What is your plan? What's my plan? You know, we need the Holy Spirit's help to believe. We need the Holy Spirit's help to be fruitful. What people of faith will you allow to help you grow this year? What people will you help grow in their faith in Christ this year? So a new year with a fresh start. All introduction, two ideas then. To know God and learning to pray. So point number one, live convinced God is trustworthy. Fresh New year, fresh start. Live in a way that's different, that you're convinced God is trustworthy, and then live convinced that prayer changes outcomes. That's what I want us to think about today. So live convinced God is trustworthy. Faith, our faith is often tested by desperate needs and opposition. And that's why we turn to Genesis chapter 26 today. I just want to take, learn a few lessons from the life of Isaac. In the verse, first six verses that Phil read for us this morning, we see that God reminded Isaac of his promises, the promises that he had given to Isaac's father, Abraham. 
God reviews his promises because Isaac's faith was going to be tested. He was going to face opposition in the promised land where God wanted him to be. So God reviewed what he had promised that he would do for Isaac, for Isaac's descendants, for those who lived before and after Isaac. And, and God's faithful. And, and we just skip real quick, but in verses 7 through 11, Isaac lied about his wife, Rebekah. Yeah, Abraham had done the same thing about Sarah because I guess their wives were so beautiful, they f were afraid that the people of the land would want to take their wives. They could do that when you're a stranger in the land, a sojourner, you, you know, you're not planted. So they were afraid uh, their wives were valuable uh, commodities to these other people, so they lied about them being their sisters. Isaac did what his father did. Even though Isaac wasn't faithful, God protected him, just like he had protected Abraham. God is faithful even when Isaac's faith in God wavers. Has God ever done that for you? And God promised, uh, we read in those promises in the first six verses, that God was going to bless him and take care of him in the land if he just stayed where God wanted him. And in verse 2, God made the promise. In verses uh, 12 and 13, we read, and Isaac sowed in the land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. Imagine putting $1,000 and getting a hundredfold for it this year. That would be cool, wouldn't it? My retirement fund could use that, but we won't go there. So Isaac is abundantly blessed, just as God promised, and, and his herds grew. But with the prosperity came the envy, it says, of those neighbors around him. He became very wealthy, and now the Philistines envied him, it says in verse 14. Envy and contention from his neighbors. So here's Isaac. I can hear him thinking. Maybe, maybe you would think the same thing. God, I'm right where you told me to be. I stayed in the land. I have abundant riches. You're taking care of me. Like, I can't believe it. But there's no peace in my life. There's turmoil. So Isaac is forced to move apart. Move around. In verse 17 it says, So Isaac departed from there and encamped because he had become so wealthy. Abimelech said, Move away. So Isaac departed from there into the valley of Gerar and settled there and he dug wells again. The water had been, had been dug in the days of his Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham and he gave them names that his father gave him. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found the well spring water, the herdsmen of Gier quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water's ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. And then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called the well Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Isaac's forced to move. Unfriendly and jealous neighbors. He was searching, searching for a place to settle, and he was looking for an absolute necessity, water. So he dug where there had been water before. That's pretty smart, isn't it? God had blessed his father Abraham with water when Abraham dug those wells. The Philistines, when Abraham died, filled those wells up because they just wanted to kind of stick it to Abraham. And now Isaac comes and digs those wells. It's kind of interesting. They must have really done a job on those wells, 
because why wouldn't they just dig up the wells and get the water for themselves? Because it was a lot of work. So Isaac took the time to dig the wells right where God wanted him to, and then they quarrel with him. They gave him a hard time. And if I was a, wanted to be mean to Abraham's descendants, I would have thrown more than just dirt in the wells. I would have put big rocks in there and sticks and, and a helmet or two, you know, metal stuff. So when you're digging, it's hard. Make it miserable. The main idea here is that God is trustworthy. But digging those wells made me think that that's a great illustration for life. You work hard, don't you? Where you believe God wants you, you dig. And then you get hassled, so you have to move on because it's not working out. And you're like, God, I'm trying to do what you want me to do. Isaac's faith may have wavered, but he saw God being faithful so faithful, so Isaac stayed where God wanted him to be in the promised land. He didn't go to Egypt. He stayed put. And did you, do you think Isaac's trust in God grew stronger with every well he dug and found water, and then he had to move? Oh. But then he dug another well and found water, and then he had to move. Oh. And then he dug a well, and there was peace. He grew in his faith and his trust in God. Was Isaac convinced God was trustworthy? How do we know he did? Because he stayed in the promised land. He obeyed God's word to him. It's just an illustration of life. The main point is God is trustworthy. The well digging is just an illustration like about life. It's like an allegory. It's like, wow, we work so hard and things don't work out, but we have to trust God. Are you convinced God is true to his word? Matthew 28 is a really familiar verse. Verse 18, 19, and 20. You know them and if you're not sure what they are, you'll recognize them when I begin to read. All authority, well, let me start at the beginning. And Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, <clears throat> excuse me, all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How does that promise from God strengthen your trust in him for 2023? All authority's been given to me. Go into all the world, wherever you are, and proclaim my truth. Make disciples who follow me the way you're following me. Trust in me will make a difference for us. How will that verse make a difference for you? Lo, I am with you always. Tomorrow, this time. This week, at this time. This new year. Clean out the dirt. That's another lesson we learned. <laughs> Had to dig. Had to clean out the dirt. 
our lives are messy. We're unholy people. And Paul just reminded Timothy, clean out your life. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. So if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we need to clean out the dirt. We not only need to dig where God wants us and make roots and serve God well, we need to clean out the unholiness in our lives, the unholy habits, and then we need to cling to God and his word. Because the challenges we face are going to be different than Isaac's. Has anybody here ever dug a hand-dug well? I have never done that. I have dug a few footers, and that's deep enough for me. That's hard work. So our situations are going to be different, but so much of our lives are the same as Isaac. New knowledge and technology make our times different, but God and his truth and his kingdom commands and desires have not changed at all. Just think about this as we think about Isaac's life and, and what God told him to do, that God's trustworthy. When Jesus ascended to heaven, there were about 500, 500 believers who saw that he was alive. So 500 people, and Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. That was an overwhelming task. It was seemingly impossible. There would be much opposition, but nothing's impossible to accomplish with God. Little history lesson. Before the American Revolution in the 1700s, okay, so about 300 years ago, like right now, 300 years ago, in the American colonies, churches were basically empty. Deism was in control of the thinking and most people's living. Deism is just a belief that God started everything and then he moved back and said, it's your job to take over. I've started things, I've given you some laws and commands, now you figure it out. He just steps back. So that's how people live their lives. God started things and let natural laws and people to run things and figure it out, kind of removed an impersonal God. So people found all kinds of reasons to avoid hearing God's gospel. There weren't any modern trappings, but there was gambling, there was drinking, there was cockfighting, there was work, there was gaining riches, there was all the usual stuff that we face. So the same sort of distractions, cold-hearted people toward God, but there was a spiritual awakening that happened in the 1700s when God's people turned back to God to, in faith. There was a spiritual awakening, and that is always God's work, but it won't happen and it won't happen without people of faith surrendering to God's will in prayerful obedience. Willing to dig, willing to stay, willing to clean up their lives, willing to cling, cling to God's word and to believe it and to trust it. Move on real quick to Judges chapter 6. So we look at Isaac just for this, a new year and a fresh start and realize that we need to remember that God is trustworthy 
Gideon in, in, in Judges chapter 6, the people, he lived in dark times. He lived in faithless times among God's people. They were desperate. They had disobeyed God. It's one of those cycles, if you're familiar with the book of Judges. In verse 7, it says, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites who were oppressing them, kind of the way Isaac was being oppressed by the Philistines, the Lord sent a prophet, it says in verse 8, to the people of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave them your land, gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So they were being oppressed. They cried out in desperation to God. And what did God do? He sent a messenger. He sent a prophet. And he said, here's the problem. You've broken your covenant with me. You've been faithless to me. I've taken care of you, but you haven't uh, followed me or trusted me. You've been unfaithful to your promises to only serve me. You've served other false gods. You've set them up. So they knew what they needed to do. And then God came to Gideon in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under a tree there. And he met Gideon, and Gideon was hiding in a hole, beating out his wheat because the Midianites would steal, steal the wheat. So he was trying to hide it from them. And Gideon was afraid. I love what he says. And Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. We won't take any, any, I won't take any more time to read that story, but just understand, Gideon was afraid. Are you afraid to trust and obey the Lord? Yes, we are. Often. Gideon doubted God's willingness. He's questioning God. If you're really with us, why is all these, are these bad things happening? And God said, Gideon, I want you to go in the might that you have. Go in the might you have, it says in verse 14. And that might is the Lord's might. Go, Gideon, in the might that is yours. I go back to Matthew chapter 28. Go, church of Jesus Christ, in the might that is yours and make disciples. Same God, same might, the power to do what he commands us to do. We're set apart by God, the way Gideon was set apart by God, to go and deliver people, not from the Midianites, but from the entrapments of sin and deception. They're lost in darkness. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Gideon wanted God to deliver him and his people, but he wanted to follow somebody else. 
that you? You want God to send a deliverer, but Lord, here am I, send my sister. That's the joke. Let it be somebody else. I'll follow, but I don't want to do the hard part. We're not in Isaac's situation. We're not in Gideon's situation, but we are set apart by God to be faithful, to be fruitful disciples. Spiritual renewal happens when we're convinced God is trustworthy. Will we in our weakness live in a fresh way convinced that God and our Savior is trustworthy in this new year? Where's a weak spot in your life that you need to turn over to God? And what will you do this today, this week, this year, to show what will we do together to show that we're convinced that God and his gospel is still able to save people? What will you say this time tomorrow about how you're going to trust God? What are, what's your heart telling you now? You know, we can strengthen our conviction of God being trustworthy by feeding on his word, by by knowing what he's done in the past, by knowing what he's promised to do with us now, by knowing what he's promised he will do when we obey him. So we can start this new year fresh. We learn from, from Isaac just to trust God, to dig, to clean out the wells, to, to clean up our lives. To, that's a picture of cleaning up our lives. To, to trust God and be convinced that if we obey him, that he will bless us sooner or later. He will get glory, and people will come to know the greatness of our God. So, live convinced that God is trustworthy, and then secondly, live convinced that prayer changes outcomes. We're going to take a look in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, chapter 3, and chapter 6. But before we get there, a story. Many years ago, before cell phones and weather apps on our cell phones, three brothers received new sleds for Christmas, and they wanted to try out their new sleds. So they prayed. They prayed that it would snow so they could use their new sleds on the hill. Before going to bed that night, they turned on the radio to hear the latest weather report. And here's what the forecast was. They were ecstatic. Eight to 10 inches of snow were predicted to fall overnight. They were so excited. They went to bed. They got up in the morning. They ran to the window. And there was a groan. No snow. <laughs> the youngest brother said, I guess God didn't have his radio on. <clears throat> we often forget that God's in control. That he knows already when we ask, when we plan, when we work. You know, I don't think there's anyone here that would say that prayer is not powerful. We believe it makes a difference. But so often, I know, I fail to really pray and ask God to do what I know what God would want to do. 
we fail to tap into this powerful resource because God loves to answer prayers that are prayed according to his will. You know, prayer is an indicator of our trust in God, of our dependence on God. And since spiritual renewal, new life in Christ does not come apart from God working, then you would think that we would be praying hard for God to go to work and believe that he will do it. Even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, that many will come to believe as we ask God to work out his will through people who may be reluctant and fearful, like Gideon, but willing to go and obey because they learn to trust their God. So pray for spiritual renewal. <laughs> so pray for God to reveal the unholy clutter hidden in your heart, in our hearts, collectively. Ask God to strengthen our will so that we want to conform more to her, is instead of our own. So that we turn away from the sins that so easily beset us, that we so easily get back, caught up in. And you know what? Neglecting prayer and casual, thoughtless prayer and prayer that's unguided by God's word hinders God from working. So that's why we go to Ephesians chapter 3, and I just want to take a few moments to look at this. Learning to pray with Paul. I want to look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. Paul, in this great classic prayer, says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. I'll stop there for a moment. See, Paul was convinced of prayer's power. And his kneeling shows that it was an intense prayer. Because the normal way to pray in that culture was not sitting down and bowing to your head, but was to stand and to pray. So when he's kneeling, it was an intensity in prayer. What did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He kneeled down and he prayed because it was intense prayer. Weighty matters are being brought before God. So why do you pray the way you do, Paul? Why do you get down on your knees to pray? He says, for this reason I bow my knees. Well, to take a look back, you have to go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Well, Paul, what are those reasons for this kind of praying that you do? Well, he knows from Ephesians chapter 2 that, that God regenerates people that God has reconciled people to himself through Jesus Christ. That's in chapter, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. In chapter in verses 14 through 19, he talks about how God revealed his great mystery, how God was going to work through the church. Why do you pray so this way, Paul? Because I know what God is up to. I know what God is doing. I know what God has planned for his people. Why do you pray so confidently, Paul? Because I know my God. I know his heart. In verses 16 through 19 in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about he prays according to God's heart. That according to the riches of his glory that God may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. God wants you to be strong in your heart. To not to waver in your faith. So he prays. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
So he prays that their faith would grow, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul wants you, he prays so that people will know God. And when people know God, it'll change the way they pray. And when they pray differently, they'll get to know God because they'll see God answering prayers. It's this amazing just recycling of growing, of growth. Here's good content for your prayers. Pray for spiritual strength for me, for one another, so that we're rooted in Christ, grounded in Christ, rooted in Christ. I don't know what you picture when you think of roots, but I think of a, a tree that has deep roots. And when they blow over, if you ever see them, it's like this huge amount of roots just to go so deep, rooted in Christ, so we're not easily uprooted. Better understanding of all that we have in Christ, knowing the love of God. Pray for one another that way. Let Scripture guide how you pray for your schoolmates. Do you ever pray that your schoolmates who don't treat you very well would come to know the love of God? Pray for your co-workers that way. Pray for your spouse that way. Pray for your children that way, your grandchildren, your brothers and your sisters and your nieces and your nephews. Pray for them that way, that they would know the love of God, that they would know the riches of God's mercy and grace. And what's the outcome of all that in verses 20 through 21, that you may be able... Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. It's all for God's glory. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul just real quickly tells us, be alert. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God. There's all kinds of directives here for prayer. There's a call to do battle in prayer in verse 10. There's two people in combat. There's God and the schemes of the devil. And it's bigger than the physical. It's spiritual. Spiritual forces of darkness. And we have equipment that we're to ask for. And the most important weapon, it says in verse 18, is praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Talking about prayer, the ultimate equipment to have, to be convinced God is trustworthy, to see your prayers answered according to what God's will is, is to be praying according to the word of God, constantly praying. I want to give you a homework assignment. Don't have time to look at it today, but read 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19. It's the story of Elijah. Have it up on the slide, I believe. Yeah. And then James chapter 5. Why did Elijah pray as he did? Remember, Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. 
And when he prayed for it to rain, it did rain. Why did Elijah pray as he did? How did his prayers and obedience align with God's will? And would God be pleased to use us like Elijah? What does James chapter 5 tell us about that? That's your homework assignment. Go read those verses today and ponder about how convinced you are that prayer makes a difference, that it changes outcomes according to God's will. Prayer's glorious end is great glory being given to God. That's the goal of powerful praying, that God would be known, that God would be understood, that God would be believed. Years ago, there was a missions work going on in Osaka, Japan. And one day, an order came from the city officials in that city that there were no longer Bible meetings, Bible services, worship services were no longer allowed to be held. The missionaries who were working there, Lambeth and Wainwright were their last names, went to the city officials and they pleaded to allow them to continue on with their work, with their service, with their missions ministries. But the city officials refused. So what did they do? You probably know. They went to a room and they began to pray. And they prayed for a very long time in private and it became dinner time. So one of the Japanese servant girls that was working with them came to tell them it's time to eat. And she walked into the room and she came under the influence, the report is, under the influence of prayer, the Spirit of God just moved her. So she joined them in praying. So Mrs. Lambeth, you know, came to look to see what's going on. She sent a servant girl to tell them it's time to eat, dinner's getting cold. I threw that in there. I assume that's what was going on. She came in. She entered the room. She came under the spirit of prayer. and She joined them in prayer, and they prayed. And then they left. They didn't eat. They went and opened up their meeting room, and they held a public service in disobedience to the city officials' orders. That night, two of the city officials' sons came to that meeting, and they came to faith in Christ. The next day, the city officials came and said that they would no longer interrupt them or, or give them a hard time, that they could hold their meetings. And here's what the local paper said in the headlines. The Christian's God came to town last night. Spiritual awakening is always God's but God does his work through people who are convinced God is trustworthy and are convinced that praying changes outcomes when it's prayed according to God's will. In this new year, I would challenge you to think about this. What will we ask God to do for his glory through his disciples, all the disciples in Havertown? not just us, just part of the whole. What will we ask God to do in our city? How will we pray in prayerful obedience? What will we ask God to do for his glory? We have a new year to have a fresh start to see God do great things. Let's pray. Lord God,
I ask you to give us faith to trust you more, to believe your promises, promises that you've given to your saints through the ages. We have riches in Christ. Help us to see it and embrace them. Help us to know that you're trustworthy. Lord, remind us of how great you are and how you work. Give us patience to move with you. Teach us to pray according to your will, not our own will or the way we want things, but according to your ways, to believe you and to trust you. Lord, begin to grow our faith in you so that others can know your glory, so that you are lifted up, so that people say, their God is the true God. We ask this all for Christ's honor and glory. Amen.